Welcome to A Smarter You. I'm Hannah Belliacci, and I'll be your host this fall. Today's episode is another interview by our previous host, Justin Cummings, with Francesca Vasquez from Amazon Web Services. They talk about cloud computing, next-gen technology, and Francesca's education at Lynchburg. They're joined by Brian Gentry, editor of University of Lynchburg magazine. Is there a Lynchburg professor or alum you'd like to hear on our podcast this season? Email ucm at lynchburg.edu to let us know. Thanks and enjoy the show. Welcome to A Smarter You, a University of Lynchburg podcast. I'm Justin Cummings, and today I'm joined by Brian Gentry, editor of the University of Lynchburg magazine. Hello. And Francesca Vasquez, Lynchburg College class of 2000. Hi, Justin. Hi, Brian. Hi. So today we are here to talk about Francesca, and about her wonderful accomplishments since graduating here, and also about STEM education, cloud computing, and all sorts of fantastic uh, technology things, and how it relates to higher education and leadership and where we're going. Really cool topic. Uh, really great person to be here. Francesca, tell us a bit about yourself. What do you do now? Uh, what did you do here at the university? Sure, and it's so great to be here, great to be on campus. So as Justin mentioned, my name is Francesca Vasquez. I'm the Director of Architecture and Customer Success with Amazon Web Services, and we're really responsible for helping startups and enterprises adopt cloud computing in order to help them innovate. And I am just thrilled um, because I think that technology has really changed over the course of the last 20 years. I'm excited to be part of it, and I'm even more excited that the University of Lynchburg is leading in some of the programs that we offer here. So very happy to be here. So, so based on that, I infer that you had a computer science degree here. I did. So I'm class of 2000, uh, graduated with a computer science degree, studied under some amazing professors, many late nights, and I'm leveraging that every day. <laughs> so graduating in the year 2000, mm -hmm. you were finishing high school and then going to college at a time when there was a lot of development in technology, especially with the internet and the World Wide Web. Uh, what was that like and how did your interest in computer science come about? Sure. Let me start with the last question first. Okay. So my interest in computer science and really just technology in general was multifaceted. I, by nature, I'm a builder and I'm a very curious learner who happened to be pretty decent in math. And I remember in high school, my mom encouraging me to take a intro to programming course, which at that time happened to be Fortran. Anybody out there that's worked in Fortran? You're one of my heroes or sheroes, but I started there. And then the other thing that I used to be really excited about is I was a bit of a, a closet gamer. I was um, masterfully working through games like The Legend of Zelda, and I just was fascinated by technology and software at that time of all sorts. So I took an intro to programming course, and I did not look back. Now, coming to Lynchburg, at the time we were called Lynchburg College, and what originally brought me here is I attended a college fair in my uh, senior year of high school. I, I actually had already been accepted to two other schools out of state, living in Virginia. 
And uh, I found Lynchburg College at the time at a booth and I, you know, filled out the information, what I was interested in. And within, you know, 48 hours, someone from the university contacted me. And so a very high level of engagement. I heard from Dr. Connie Rusas at the time, who was one of the leading faculty for the computer science department. And also during that time, uh, there was a lot of press around some of the research and development that Dr. Thomas Nicely was doing as it related to uh, identifying errors in, at that time, Intel's Pentium processor. And so... So I that rings a bell for me because mm -hmm. I remember when I was in high school, one of my cousins telling me that I should be a Mac person, not a PC person. And his reason was because of the math errors in in the Pentium chip. And I was trying to come up with reasons why that didn't matter or why it didn't matter to me or something. And I never in my life imagined I would someday be at the place where those errors were discovered. And, uh, were you familiar with those already when you came into contact with Lynchburg College? Were you familiar with that research? I was familiar when it, after I had the initial, initial introduction to the college at the fair. And it was a, a pretty big deal. You got to remember your second part of the question was, what was the state of the industry at that time? Web development and the internet was growing at a pretty exponential rate. Lots of e-commerce, uh, home computing, personal computers were becoming a staple in many households, not all, but in many households. And so it was a pretty big deal. And the fact that that was one of our faculty members here at the college, who, by the way, made his research so accessible to students, uh, I really wanted to learn um, from that team. And it was very exciting during that time and uh, very thankful for being able to work with uh, the, the School of Sciences then and those professors. And then the other great professor that was on that staff was Dr. Barry Lobb. So that was the, the dream team, as I called them during that time. So your interest was sparked. I want to step back a little bit. You know, it was partially sparked by Zelda, you said. <laughs> and you, you said you were a closet gamer. And Justin is a not closet gamer. <laughs> not in the slightest, no. Uh, I've written several papers for classes about various video games. It, uh, it, it pops up a lot in my academic work. Um, I have to ask, did you ever get a chance to play the second Zelda on the NES? I did not, so I'm going to disappoint you. you. you I missed, did not. You dodged the bullet on that <laughs> one. It's, it's a not the best game. <laughs> they completely changed the style and never went back. I was going to say, if you managed to beat that one, you're my hero, because nobody knows how to play that game. It's yeah. insane. It's well, there's still insane. opportunity. So we'll hang tight, Justin. There's still opportunity. But I think it just goes to show that during that time, there were so many different facets of what you could do uh, in technology. Uh, gaming and interest in mathematics were just two of my personal interests that I happened to turn into an amazing passion. But there are others, and we mm -hmm. will play Zelda one day, Justin. Oh, yes, okay. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Now that there are co-op games, I have my Game Boy ready to go. Awesome. Four swords. Let's do it. <laughs> do you have it with you? Do you want to play right now? I do not have my link cable, unfortunately. I do have the Game Boy itself, though. Um, put me on the Next spot. Episode. Next, Next episode. Next episode. Next episode is going to be on Twitch. <laughs> the live it. stream. Let's play. I would, I would approve. I would approve so much if the school let me do that. But I don't think they will. We'll think about it. Francesca, you mentioned you used the term closet gamer. Yes. So you didn't want to admit that you were gaming? Tell us more about that. I totally didn't want to admit that I was gaming. Uh, during that time, 
you know, I, I did not necessarily fit the mold of what people thought of computer programmers and gaming in a variety of fashions. So I sort of kept to myself and, and played and enjoyed. And, it, and again, it wasn't until I got to Lynchburg College at the time that I found many others like me that just shared the interest uh, in computing. And not just uh, computing, but web development was pretty rapid during that time. And many of us got an opportunity uh, to build our own sites. E-commerce was booming during that time. Uh, I remember some of the early days of helping to contribute to the University of Lynchburg's uh, original website. <laughs> Sorry for that, but it was a lot of fun time. I've seen screenshots of Yes. It. <laughs> and you know, for the time, that was what websites looked like. That's all right. Really. So where did that mold come from, where you say that you didn't fit the mold that people expected for computer programmers or gamers? Where did that mold come from? How did you, how was it communicated that there was a certain expectation for people with that interest? Well, I think it ties into one of my passions today, which is how do I attract, I call myself a builder. So how do I tr attract other builders uh, who potentially come from underserved communities or underrepresented segments. And I think just during that time, you didn't hear a lot about many female programmers. You didn't hear a lot about uh, women of color in the field of computing. And so you just didn't see it. And so now it's my mission to just get like-minded builders of all backgrounds uh, to drive to the same, you know, end game and be excited about it. And, uh, and it, it honestly, there is so much technology now that is built for everyone. And that is the exciting part. You can be interested in gaming. You could be interested in pure just software development. You could be someone that's very in tune with data and statistics and really focus in on new growth areas like machine learning and artificial intelligence. I mean, it's, it is uh, unlimited right now. I personally think it's fascinating that there there were more women in computer programming, I think, back in the 80s and 70s than we realized, but they were often not getting the credit they deserved, and we're just now starting to hear about some of them. Um, and I think we're seeing more and more things trying to say that women can be in this field. Um, there was a show, Halt and Catch Fire, a couple years ago, which... The whole point of that show was women can not only be in technology, they can be the best at technology. So do you think, what, what do you think it, it would be like coming up now where we have all these representations compared to when you were coming up in the field? Well, I think now it's more accessible. I think now you can have um, multi-disciplines. Uh, so my path happened to be computer science, but I have a ton of colleagues in the industry now that have come up through communications, that have come up through business, that have been in statistics and engineering. And so I just think that we've made it we, the innovations have made technology far more accessible and anyone really can participate. Uh, we just have to choose to go and help and support those folks that choose to. You mentioned helping people come into the field, helping people realize the potential they have in the field. Mm -hmm. Earlier, you mentioned that one-on-one -on -one engagement, uh, the, the fact that someone reached out from the college reached out to you so soon after you filled out that form. Uh, and then you came for a visit. Uh, you, you told me before we started recording the episode, you mentioned that you came for a visit and you got to sit down and talk with the faculty members just while you were visiting as a prospective student. And how did that kind of access continue 
while you're here while you were here and how did it impact your life and your uh, and your career yeah it's a great question the university is so unique and i think like many students when you're evaluating going off to college or to a university it can be very overwhelming for many people it's the first time that they've been away from home and i was no different and so i believe when i stepped foot on this campus the sense of community was instant it was felt i felt uh, engaged i felt listened to i felt supported uh it felt highly inclusive and so that from that first interaction, it continued through my entire four years of being here. My professors became my mentors. They became an extension of my technical discipline family. And by the way, they they also held me accountable because our class sizes were relatively small. So at that time, you know, there were maybe uh, 20 of us to one professor. And it just allowed them to help personalize my journey in this space, which kept my interest high. And it also allowed me to work on a lot of great projects. And that sense of community has stayed with me in the professional space. It also very much aligns to the company that I'm fortunate to be part of now uh, at Amazon, and that philosophy hasn't really, really changed. So that's a, to me, it's a huge benefit here at the university, and it's one that I definitely am thankful for, don't take for granted, and that's not just in computer science. There were other courses that I took beyond computer science that shaped that entire experience. And I'll just name a few. Foreign languages, my English class, all of these courses, the professors and faculty, all the same, highly engaged, highly devoted to student experience. Pretty lucky. So as a as an English major, as an undergrad, I always love to ask people, especially if they've gone into a technology career, and you specifically mentioned your English classes, mm-hmm. you know, how do those things connect and you know, that broad range of classes that students have to take here, how did that, how has something like that impacted your career and your perspective on technology? It's a really great question because in my role today, I not only interface with a variety of people, but also with what, what we call customers, Amazon customers. And those customers are global. Those customers um, have different um, business models. And one of the things that we do to convey ideas in our company is writing. And it allows us to have critical thinking. And it also allows us to be able to communicate with customers that might have a different global you know, presence and geography. And so I think that has really helped with communicating and being able to work with um, uh, other builders. The other thing that the courses did is they taught a lot around leadership. And these are sometimes things that you don't realize until you're in the journey, your next journey beyond the university. So uh, so English, the foreign languages course, just super impactful. And so those of you that are in the STEM field, take an English course. You will need it. <laughs> Pretty amazing. So it's not just because your company started as a bookseller. It's definitely <laughs> no relation to that. I worked at a couple of other companies before my current one and all highly relevant. Uh, you know, there are some uh, companies today that operate on wanting to have proposals for why they should engage with you. 
and that again that writing element becomes ex uh, extremely important so you can't write those you can't write those proposals in fortran can you i cannot i wish i could because it would be much shorter <laughs> <laughs> but i can't uh, so a lot of people, when, when they think of Amazon, they think of free shipping, they think of Prime Video, they think of uh, maybe like Amazon Music. They don't really think about the they think of shopping. They don't necessarily think about the computing side. And, and I've had a chance to see a little bit of AWS and a little bit of just the immense cloud computing side that Amazon has and that they've built up and kind of the technical powerhouse they've become on top of a, a shopping and a media powerhouse. Uh, tell us a little about, a bit about AWS, a little bit about Amazon's uh, foray into cloud computing and kind of how you got into it. Sure. So um, you just, that was great. You teed that up. So Amazon Web Services is the cloud extension to Amazon. And ultimately, um, they are really just a provider of being able to deliver a variety of compute services on demand uh, as you go. And the way that I like to equate it is to talk about companies that have built their businesses on the cloud platform. So many people are familiar with companies like Snapchat or Airbnb. A lot of these companies, the reason that they've been able to come to the market so quickly is because they've build a model that's 100% on the cloud, which allows them to innovate faster. One of our, our favorite companies that we helped transition to the cloud with uh, with our work at AWS was actually Netflix. Oh, heard wow. of Netflix? Yeah, I've heard of it. I've heard <laughs> of it. They only manage a, a third times. of the internet bandwidth. But um, when Netflix was trying to figure out a way to drive more personalization and streaming content, one of the fastest ways that they could touch global reach was by moving uh, entirely to the cloud. Uh, with a variety of different uh, vendors. So I think what we've learned at AWS, because many people know Amazon, sometimes they don't know AWS. Uh, what we've, we've been very fortunate in that we've taken the customer focus of Amazon and we've applied it to the cloud computing part of our business. That's it. And it's an extremely intuitive program. Like like I said, I'm not a, I'm not a programmer. I, I am an electronic media emphasis here at the school, but I was able to understand at least some of the basic stuff of AWS to get into it. It's very user-friendly. Like, is that kind of play until we were talking about, about like the customer-first model, like the kind of accessibility? Yeah, it plays into the customer-first model. It plays into the innovation of the different paradigms and platforms today because they're more declarative. Mm -hmm. And so you're finding, you know, even with some of the languages out there now, like uh, JavaScript, object notation, or what we call JSON or Python, they almost look like regular English mm -hmm. <laughs> statements and not necessarily some of the, the types of code we've seen in the past. And I, I think when you make what people want is they want an easy button to deliver value quicker. Mm -hmm. And so the innovation that I think that has happened in the software space is we've made things far more declarative, which drives adoption. People get excited. They understand it. And when things are easier to deploy, more people want to use it and go for it. So that's what we've seen. Python in particular is one of those languages that it's like you just basically just need to learn what to do with semicolon and you know Python. Like yeah. it's it's a very and that that does seem to kind of be where we're where we're going mm -hmm. with that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Now, Francesca, you've mentioned a couple of times how cloud computing drives innovation and allows mm -hmm. people to innovate quicker. What exactly does it do? You know, some people listening might not even know what cloud computing is, but yeah. what exactly is it and how does that enable 
innovation. Yeah, my my best analogy for those not in the space just wanting to understand cloud is to think about how you consume your various utilities in the world today. So when you walk into a room and you need uh, electricity and light for most populations, you just flip on a switch and you've got all the energy that you need. Um, when companies are trying to build out new applications or they're trying to take their businesses global, they need to be able to have that same type of utility as a service pretty fast. And so what the cloud does is it takes a lot of um, computing that in the former day you would put in a big data center and that data center would be comprised of you know, servers that had information and databases and networks. They make that all into a utility that at the click of the button, you can deploy those resources so people can build applications in minutes versus months, and people can go global in minutes versus months or years. And that just that speed and agility is what powers innovation. And I'll go back to the one customer uh, or just one company, excuse me, of like Airbnb. And I love Airbnb because they are a huge industry disruptor. They leverage many uh, cloud providers. But what's unique about them is they've been able to scale a hospitality industry with virtually no capital assets, meaning they don't actually have physical presence, mm-hmm. right? And so that's a disruption in business model. You Arguably, you could say the same for companies like Uber and Lyft, where they've completely disrupted transportation. That is what not just my company, but many cloud providers, that is the value that they bring to the industry. I feel like in the old days, many companies, you know, you'd know where their headquarters are because, you know, that's where all the giant stacks of computer towers are. But I don't even know where Airbnb's headquarters <laughs> is. I don't even know if they have one. Like, that's... Well, that's what I'm saying is like, I, I don't know where the actual like corporate quote unquote office would be right. just because it is so delineated. And, it, and to me, it's, it's a mobile experience, not necessarily, you don't think brick and mortar. That's right. And that's the beauty. Everything's all driven through the internet. All these services are all through the internet, not through the light switch, through the wall. <laughs> With that. And if this isn't your field. That's absolutely fine. Yeah. But um, Verizon just announced uh, last week that they're opening up their first 5G studio where all of their programming and everything is running using 5G. So most people have probably heard 4G or 3G with their phones. 5G is like the next big thing. It's the new tech buzzword. Is 5G actually something we're going to need to consider? Is it going to be good for cloud computing? Is it kind of just a pipe dream? You know, it's definitely not just a pipe dream. Uh, I'll just say this. I think that when you think about, you know, how much information is flowing through the Internet or through various networks today, there was a, a time when it all was originated through just computers or now laptops. Today, information is being generated on your phone. It's being generated through medical devices. It's being generated through the wearable watch that I have on right now. And if you think about the scale of everybody that has some type of connected device, I think uh, 5G is one capability and technology, um, much like some others that will absolutely revolutionize the way that we uh, share and process information. And that's what what the name of the game is, what you're doing around data and information long term. 
that that does seem to be kind of like you forget just how many things you have in the house that are connected now. Oh, I mean, the yeah. one gag goes, oh, like the guy that gets locked in the kitchen sends a message on Twitter from the Samsung smart fridge, like locked in, send help um, exactly. from the uh, from like the fridge and just like the things now that can send information. It, it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, it definitely seems billions, like, yeah. billions of devices, all at the edge, not sitting necessarily just on your laptop. It's pretty fascinating. It's amazing how big the things we're sharing are getting. Like, you can now edit 4K video mobily, which is just, it blows my mind. Because two years ago, that was not a thing. I, I have to laugh because uh, I spent a lot of time uh, traveling all over the world. And mobile phones, so you think about the impact of just the iPhone. Um, don't want to discard any of the Android users, but so iPhone or not, um, 2007 launch. Most iPhones and Android devices now are larger than the mainframes that we had in the past, in some cases, that, by the way, would take up this entire room plus the next two rooms. And so um, it's a lot more capacity, uh, a lot, again, lots of innovation happening in this space. And then since we were talking about gaming and Zelda earlier, the other fascinating thing is to look at even some of the gaming companies out there where the business is not necessarily just about producing a game. It, it is now about an experience of streaming and the type of real-time user experience you can have in the game you know, at that moment. And so there's going to be this, I think, this continued amazing wave around content, personalization, you know, data uh, being powered by all sorts of companies with 5G, with cloud. You know, it's going to be exciting. It's like the next big iteration. Can't wait. Unfortunately, I can't remember who who it was, but someone was talking about how when 4G was first being touted, Facebook didn't exist. When 4G was at the very, very beginning, before it went wide, there was no Facebook. So imagine what can be possible on 5G, like if 4G was able to give us Facebook and everything that stemmed from that, you know, the next generation, it's impossible to predict, but it's, it seems like you're going to be in that generation. I, I hope that I'm going to be part of it in some capacity. It's funny because you mentioned your son. Mm -hmm. I have a nine-year-old son as well. And I find myself having to compete with my personal assistant device that's in my household because if I tell my son the weather is going to be this, he goes, no, I've already asked, you know, Suri, Alexa, and Katana and everyone else. And they say it's going to be this. So therefore, I can wear shorts today. Like, okay, so mm -hmm. some big problems coming ahead. <laughs> yeah, as soon as the children learn how to use the um, the, the smart home devices, that's yeah. when everything gets fun because then you right. have to compete. That's mm -hmm. right. My kids made, uh, made Google Play some music by Johann Sebastian Bach recently, but they were trying to get, it, get Google to play chicken sounds. But it played Bach music. <laughs> Bach. That's that's so, actually fantastic. Francesca, I, I think it. about your light your light switch analogy yes. about how cloud computing helps us ha helps people to be able to launch with that kind of flexibility. Oh yeah. So more speed becomes available, more bandwidth becomes available, mm -hmm. and we fill it and we innovate with it. Mm -hmm. Do you have any idea what's next? What types of things will fill that space? I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that are happening around uh, satellite innovation. Um, I think there's a next wave of what we do with communications that are uh, beyond what we're doing today. So that would be one prediction. I think another prediction is, you know, 
because there are billions of devices, data is going to be the center of gravity. And I believe that there are institutions and companies that have vast amounts of data that want to be able to do better things with that data to be able to create positive experiences for their you know, customers. And so I think the area around data analytics and certainly uh, artificial intelligence machine learning will be a trend that continues. People are doing it today, but it will continue. And then um, the third thing that I, I think is pretty exciting is I, I think we're going to continue to see more innovation that happens from an outside-in perspective. And it means that the experiences that each of us have as a consumer are the same types of experiences you want to have when you're a business or an enterprise. You want things fast, you want it secure, you want it reliable, you want it um, um, cost-effective. Those are the things I think will uh, continue to evolve over time. So, And I, I'm going to be around, hopefully contributing in some fashion. Now, um, I want to talk a little bit about your position as a leader in the industry. I read your LinkedIn profile a, a day or two ago, and someone who had endorsed you talked about how fantastic a leader you are. And obviously, you've, uh, you've held various different positions in the industry. You also mentioned earlier that while you were in college here, there was an emphasis on leadership in some of your courses. I'd like to hear, you know, what are some things you learned about leadership here, but also some things you've learned through your career that you think people ought to know about? Sure. Well, you know, I pre by the way, thank you to whoever wrote the LinkedIn uh, feedback. Appreciate that. Uh, in constant learning mode, so I don't think I have it completely figured out. I think my view on leadership probably stems from my upbringing. My upbringing was very much exposed to military lifestyle. My um, parents and siblings were all on the mission of serving our country. And so I think that was sort of my initial lens of what mattered. And so what matters to me and what drives me are things that have a bigger impact than just yourself. And so I'm very mission driven. And during my time here, I, this is why I talk about how unique this community is at the University of Lynchburg. There are so many different both academic, social and service programs and clubs that people are, do they still call them clubs? Yes. Okay. That people are able to participate in. And early on, I was encouraged to participate in the Student Government Association. I was a connections leader, which at that time meant you were part of a welcoming committee for prospective students and you could show them around and um, tell them all about the university college at the time. So I did that. I participated in Greek life. I participated uh, and well, I didn't do sports here, but I was part of the uh, annual Turkey Bowl. I did do like little flag football. That was my sports exposure. And uh, so I think all of those experiences have impact. And the other thing that I think that has impact is I learned a lot through that club participation, not, it, you know, the academics important, but I think that to complement that the Student Government Association and others just exposed me to teamwork, to what it means to be part of a highly effective group, what it means to demonstrate leadership and be a representative of the student population. 
And that, to me, has had a tremendous impact maybe on how I continue to serve today in my capacity. Not I've learned a lot more and adjusted, but a lot of that started here at the institution, University of Lynchburg. What are some ways that that's been applied in the technology field? One thing that you'll quickly learn in the technology field, even as a programmer, I had a big misconception that if I went down the computer science path, I would, and I was a bit of an introvert, that I would just be in a room programming like by myself and it would be all good and someone would send me a paycheck. What I quickly learned is software development has evolved and everyone's checking code in and checking code out and working on building out a code pipeline. And there are lots of teams globally. And I was going to be working with a lot of people. And so I think uh, being able to work effectively within a team and, and have influence was a big, big lesson learned here. I also remember the college at the time, they actually prepared a leadership development conference for a group of us. And, and it was a four-day conference. And within the conference, we actually went to etiquette class. We learned how to eat, sip, drink properly. How that plays into my world now? Well, sometimes if I have to travel internationally to go meet with other development teams in a different culture, there are certain customs that you do there and certain customs that you don't do. And I literally still revert back to the guy that I got in Lynchburg College at the time on what to do and what not to do in certain situations. So huge relevance in what we're doing here. Join a program, a club. It's very important. I wish I had done more in the debate club. As the captain of debate here at University of Lynchburg, um, you absolutely should have. It's a great, um, we we have a great debate team here now. Justin, everyone, this was meant see, to this be. Was, this okay. was. This was like the perfect dream team here. Zelda, um, debate. Do you want to close the podcast with a debate about Zelda? Just not really. Um, I have. I, I can't stay three more hours. I could go three more hours on Zelda. Okay, next episode. Okay, um, I'm down. Um, yeah. You're the president of the debate club. So actually, we're no longer a club. We are now officially a team. A team. Recognized by the school. We're no longer a student organization. We are a team. So I am team captain of the debate side. And then we also do a forensics, which is like interpretive speaking, original speaking, all kinds of stuff. But So I'm one of the two captains. He's Hugely a man. beneficial. Hugely it's beneficial. Public speaking. Even, even if you think you're never going to speak to someone in your job, you will. The days of one person in a room coding are completely gone. And if you are doing that, you are not getting a paycheck for it. You, you're you not. And it's great that you're doing that because, you know, writing. So we write a lot of blogs now about why it makes sense to adopt something, how to use the technology. And we also participate in a ton of conferences where people want to hear how you've used a, a technology, a game, whatever it may be. So speaking and writing are highly relevant in the tech industry. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a differentiator. I'll close on this last comment because I used to have a misconception that, you know, being technical, I also never needed to worry about things such as marketing and sales. Well, that changes when you are perhaps starting your own company where your sales, your marketing, you're the technical person. So I learned a lot working with startups as well. And I, I now have adjusted my position and say, 
you know, you really, what I love about the university is you, it, we are liberal arts and sciences and the exposure to all of those things have a significant impact uh, in the technology space. Well, thank you so much for thank being on you. today. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, this is great. Yeah. I, I love what we do here. Yeah. I hashtag love, Hornet. This. Can I still do a hashtag? Hashtag Hornet life. I think now we say it's a great day to be a Hornet, but let's bring oh. back hashtag Hornet. I like it. It's <laughs> was short, there a hashtag Hornet? I don't, I don't know if there was, but let's make it. It takes up less characters. I, I like it. it. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next time on A Smarter You. Hi, it's me, Hannah, again. I hope you enjoyed the show. Next time, join us where we talk about an upcoming movie about Batman's ultimate arch nemesis, the Harlequin of Hate, the Clown Prince of Crime. One small thing. Yeah. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? <laughs> <laughs>